This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good morning. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton. Joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over um, the harrowing weekend's event at uh, uh, Brentford for Manchester United as Brentford came out 4-0 winners. Um, before we get into it, Paul, how are you doing? How, how was your last week? Um, week-wise, I've done a bit, but you get to the point where you forget. We forget what you've done. All I can remember is that I was at Stamford Bridge yesterday and everything that's happened in that game, it's, it's, it has to be the, the most aggressive derby in London now. But every time you, when I watch, when I watch previous ones on telly, everything happens around the bench. It's always about the managers, never so much about the players. But everything seems to be around that bench. It was absolutely incredible, In, incredible game. And some of the things were happening were were something I haven't seen for a long time. Yeah, um, the, the handshake at the end was <laughs> remarkable. Theatre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're here to talk about Manchester United. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Click the notification bell as well to make sure that you don't miss out on podcasts. If you're watching um, watching us live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your questions and comments in. If you're watching the replay, do say hello. We, you know, reply to the comments that we get um, on the on the watchbacks as well. And um, if you're listening on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on the platform you're listening on. Okay, Paul, you covered the game for TalkSport. Over the course of you and I talking and doing this podcast, we've had so many performances and games where we've said this is the worst since Alex Ferguson. That evolved over the last year into um, are these some of the worst performances in the club's entire history. You know, we had two defeats against Liverpool and City, home and away last season, which are in that category. The losses at Brighton last season and Watford as well, also in that category. There's probably a couple of more that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. And Brentford is in that category. So you watched it, Paul. I, th- I guess my first question, because I'm still shell-shocked by it, and I'm so low at the moment, are we even... Can you even distinguish it as a new low at this point? Is it even possible to say that this was worse than what we saw 
against Liverpool at home, for example, or Brighton away last season. I would just say at this moment, and I think there's, there must be a lot of people out there the same, is that there's no point trying to find new lows and saying it was worse than that. You just say at the moment in time, it's the level at which the club is at at this moment in time. Anything which is good is an absolute bonus, which should never be said about Manchester United. But that's the way it is at the moment, in my opinion, Wayne. I talked to you about this game when it's leading into it, and I, I had that feeling. I just, I just, I knew it after what I saw last weekend, and just knowing what I know about Brentford, everything about where about their supporters, when when you about the way their supporters are and how their support supporters foresee themselves, and in that area there in the West London, they've been ridiculed for years. Brentford as just a team, just that kind of little place in West London, which no one goes to and whoever's from there doesn't not allowed to come out really because they just might make a mess somewhere that's how they feel that's how they they feel you know how they've seen themselves and all of a sudden they express themselves they get into the Premier League still a few little people laughing and laughing at them really they build this magnificent stadium the way they've set the club up is just getting better and better they're they're on a high um everybody even now my old club Rangers Rangers fans now, they don't talk about them. And if they do talk about them, they have to be positive and just say, that's that's where they should be. But the problem is, Rangers had greedy greedy owners and greedy managers. So it cost them dearly. On two opportunities, they fell because of greed and people and going out and buying players because of names. That's yeah. it. Names and, they, you know, that way. So um, then watching the Manchester United going there and waiting for United to go there, I never had a good feeling it was going to happen. Asked about it, my words were, because I still wear my heart and sleeve when it comes to United. I said, I always keep saying, we sit on the fence one. If they, get a, 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 if they can get, I think the best they'll get out of it is a drawer. I didn't want to come out and say they're not mentally strong enough. They're not, none of them are going to handle the atmosphere there. They're going to fail. I didn't ever want to come out and say that. But, and, that's the, and that's the way it worked out in every department now. If we look at it now, Wayne, when we talk about United's weaknesses, it's every single department. Where before we could say we'd spent so, much, so long talking about that midfield, we're saying every single department needs help, needs something added to it. And, and at the moment, um, I don't think the manager helped himself, but he put one of the people who he bought in, he put, he, had, he added a little bit, he put a bit of fuel on the fire by, take, by taking off Martinez. He took him off and straight away, the size issue come into it. Oh, come on. That's, that's absolutely embarrassing. I'll name you, I'll name you three centre-halves. Passarella, Argentina, Brazi, Carlovalo. Three incredible centre half for club, and and well and well and all of them are World Cup winners. I'm not sure about Braze is the one. I'm not sure about Passarella. So a lot of people won't remember it. 1978, Argentinian captain, incredible centre half. I bet you he wasn't much bigger than me. I played my last three seasons at Fulham in the third division. One season in the second division, two in the third division as a centre half in a back four. I go to QPR. I play as a three. I go to, um, so I play, and then we go to a back four. Me and Big Adam McDonald played so many games together. Me with him as a centre half. 
So now they're finding other reasons whether they're Manchester United. They're blaming Hart. It wasn't about Hart with Martinez. I still don't know why I took him off because there was another player that should have come off before him. So the whole thing, midfield, um, putting Ericsson, playing him in that deep, in a deep position. Wrong, wrong. That's not Ericsson. He's supposed to know Ericsson better than me and you. Ericsson could play in a good team in that position, but not when he's playing for a team with no one around to protect him. And for him, allegedly, supposed to try and protect the centre-halves. It's not his position. Totally out of position. You can't blame him for what happened there. Poor choices and giving him the ball. And then you look, you go into the front line, brings in a player, starts him. He hasn't trained with the players properly all over pre-season. What kind of smell does that create in the dressing room when he's playing? It doesn't. It doesn't do it. I'm going to go back to midfield again. Why is he still playing Fernandes? Fernandes has gone. His belly's full. He's got his contract. He's lost his his appetite. He's just not there. There's nothing there for him. All there is there from him is waving his arms at people, to his teammates, not even to a referee. He's not even doing it to referee, showing his petulance. He's doing it to his teammates. There's one incident late on in the second half. There's a throw-in in front of the United fans. Bello has the ball. He, I don't know if he picked up. He throws it at him to say, get on with it. And then he turns his back on him and walks to the box. And he starts waving his arms, berating one of his players. He never once looked at Bello to go and get the ball. How's that? And that's the person we was all talking about maybe taking over captaincy. It's, it's like you might as well give it to somebody and say, oh, it's, well, that's my ball. I'm taking it home. I'm not sharing. Yeah. It's absolutely madness what, what is happening. I feel sorry for the manager. In certain ways, I do. And then I'm really jumping forward here, Wayne, but the substitutions at half time, they're 4-0 down. He brings on two centre-halves and... McTominay in front of Van der Beek. And then he brings on Van der Beek in the 87th minute. Lucky enough, there were seven minutes at a time. Otherwise, there's no time at all. And I'm kind of, and I'm sat there thinking, that's your compatriot, that's your ex-player, and you're mugging him off. You're mugging him off. And so all of a sudden, is it because he feels he, does, he can't give him anything that way? But give him some respect, don't put him on the park. But to put Scott McTominay in front of him, it was just absolutely awful. And you see Scott McTominay and he's gone. Again, it was a terrible challenge, got a yellow card. Another challenge after should have been another yellow card. He kept doing silly little little things with his feet, doing a river dance with his feet and kicking it out of play. I I just, and and sorry, Wayne, that is just me. That's that little bit, just what I've seen, that's quite a lot of the game and I'm not even going to bother talking about Ronaldo because many people are saying United got to do themselves a favour and just say let's just terminate the contract let's just do it for the for everybody there's our little bit back to you for everything you've given us great that you've come back thank you move on that way and it mostly create maybe a slightly better dressing room and it might just help the manager Rather than have him around on the pitch, showing a little bit of um, a little bit of attitude, and sitting on the bench showing a lot of attitude. Yeah, they can't even give him away. 
Um, at the moment, no one, no one will take him. So, I, yeah, it's just that's what I'm saying, Wayne. Just terminate the contract, then you haven't got to worry about waiting for somebody. And whatever it's going to cost to get rid of him, just get, just do it. Because there's people who come in and take money away from the club, and have spent, have given away so much money by over, overpaying on people's prices and overpaying on wages, which makes them, makes them just become stagnant in a football club, and you can't move them because no one wants them. Even if it's club, oh, you can you can pay. All right, you only have to pay fifty percent of their wages. The fifty fifty percent, a lot of clubs don't want to pay it on players who have been inactive for so long. And when they have been active, they've been very very poor. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely madness. Madness. What has happened to that football club regarding the the way they brought players in? I don't even want to use the word recruitment because that sums up recruitment. Sounds like you're going out. Someone's going out and finding somebody who works in data, somebody who works in data, looking for a solicitor, looking for somebody who works in finance. The scout is scouting. That's what it is. People accept better to look at, go out and scout and look for players. All these newfangled words we're bringing out now, it's, it's embarrassing in my opinion. You, recruiting, recruitment. I, I just don't really, why are people doing that? Because it sounds good. It's a good sound bite now. The people... The managers, let the managers go and look at players or send their best people to go and look at players. The boss had his brother because he trusted him. His brother wasn't going to mug him off, do someone a favour just to earn the money. His brother was going to do as good as he can for his brother, but more importantly for Manchester United because he knew what his brother wanted for that football club to keep it still going and be a great football club as well as a good fo- a great football team. And it's, it's messed up what is happening to that football club, what I'm seeing with the players they're bringing in. And I was just chatting with someone because, again, I was sitting in that lounge, a press lounge at Chelsea, and I was just sitting there. It was busy when I got there. The trains were a mess, and I got there late. You have to get there early to get the best seats at Chelsea. But I got there late. I had to sit in the press area and just sit there on my own. That's eight in the week. And everyone who sat next to me weren't talking about the game, didn't want to talk about the game they're at. Hmm. Everyone sat down. Well, what about that? What about them yesterday, Paul? What about that? And that's how I spent that two hours before the game. I was just sweating there in the end just because everyone was just talking to me. You know, I could not turn anywhere, just have a little bit of peace, put my iPad on and watch something on it because everything was about that game. And that's what and that's what Manchester United are to people. And I think the players have to... Un- I don't think a lot of those players understand what that football club is about. As much as people out there hate Manchester United, they still see Manchester United as an institution of football in this country. And if they're bad, they go, okay, they're bad. They've had a bad spell. But this has been going on. This has been consistency at its worst ever for a club of the levels of Manchester United. You know, at the moment, there's there's a pot at the moment and there's two clubs in that pot, the garbage pot. Two of the biggest clubs in the world, Barcelona and Manchester United, are in that pot at this moment in time. Real Madrid have dug themselves out of it the way they've gone about it. Because they was in there. People were trying to get them in there. They've dug themselves out of it. As bad as Liverpool were during that time um, in the eight of them, is it the 90s, a bad Liverpool into the 2000s and then the way they've gone, they never had a situation like this. They, were never, they weren't competing, but they were not drag through the mill like Manchester United are. And yeah. that's because even the people in the media can't even can't even talk about anyone else. They want to talk about that. 
that game yesterday I was at was an incredible game. What happened with the sending, the managers both getting red cards, yet still Manchester United is a talking point above that above that London big game yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, we've got so many comments coming in, guys. I'm going to get to all of them. Don't worry about that. Um, in due course. Keen asks, what are your thoughts on De Gea? Is he past his best? Should we be looking at replacing him? You already mentioned earlier, though, on that. I've got to scoot through some of the comments, Keen. Sorry, but you already mentioned every department needs replacing. Um, Chris says, spot on Paul. Lucy says, 100% what Paul says. Um, ben says he didn't understand the late subs either. Um, let me ask you about this. I mean, obviously, one of the things is the def definition of insanity is basically seeing the same things done over and over again um, without any kind of improvement. Ten Hag was asked about this directly after the game, as was De Gea, about the attempt to play out from the back on goal kicks. And we don't it's obvious we don't have the place to do it. It's been a long time, obvious. Because there's plenty of goals last season, notably against Liverpool, who were our next opponents. We're playing to our weaknesses. When you're watching that um, unfold in the first half, I mean, obviously for us as fans, it's deeply, deeply frustrating because you know that they can't do it and you know that it's likely to create an instant problem. How frustrating is it um, for you watching something like that? Because these are professional players. They, they know that he's playing to their own weaknesses. The problem you have with a club that's in such a mess like, or a team that's in such a mess like United is, when you're in such a, a default well, when, when you're in crisis, you go to default, right? Your defaults are to work harder, to economise, to recognise your weaknesses and to play to your strengths, to avoid emphasising those weaknesses. And it's like United have just, all they've done for a year is is exacerbate their own weaknesses. That's what it felt like again on Saturday, didn't it? Well, that's because a lot, cause there's a lot of selfish players out there. It's not, they're, they're not a team. when they, They're Manchester... They're not often that you call them a football team, but you take away the word team because they're not. Um, we all know about that David De Gea. David De Gea got Manchester United into a Champions League because of the, some of the things he done. Champion got he done that. He um he got he got Manchester helped Manchester United get to the Europa League final. He's done so much. Um, he made an incredible. When I hear people talk about after that, all the things they said about him. He's absolutely incredible. He's in that last line. So when he makes a mistake, there's every chance he's going to go in the back of the net. But when you see the ball running under people's feet and he gives someone an opportunity, they can always play another game. But the moment he makes a mistake, he should not be playing again. People will say, but look what he's done this before, done that before. Look at all the, some of the back four, what they've done before, some of the midfields, but they've always can have another game. He's not allowed another game. But it's about, like you just mentioned there, what's the effect of, knowing the people you're working with, knowing their strengths and weaknesses. Why does that one plan, I'm going to have to say his name quite early on, because I said this from day one when I heard those words that people kept saying about, about him. He, he's great with a ball at his feet. And I always said, why, doesn't, why hasn't anyone ever said that about Steve Bruce? Why didn't anyone ever said that about Gary Pallister? People got to go back and watch those two when they, when they played. And you tell me that Harry Maguire is better than those two, then I'll turn around and, I will turn around and have the biggest argument in my life with you. And, and we would talk about it because 
I would always win. Harry Maguire plays and does things with the ball because he isn't that brave with the ball. He runs with it because he, he can't make those decisions. They conceded the goal off of him waving his arms about, telling people to do things because he's trying to do things that he can't, but he thinks he's got to go and do it. He gave a ball back to David De Gea. He knows David De Gea's strengths and weaknesses better than anybody because he's on the park and he's with him every single day. The fans know it now. He's not great with his feet. Goalkeepers, for me, should be there to make saves. And if their strengths ain't making a save and not a goalkeeper, if he's not good at kicking the ball out, then that doesn't make him a bad goalkeeper. Peter Shelton was useless with his feet. But he played, what, 120-odd games for his country. He won two European Cups. So, and he won, obviously, he won a league title. Did he? Oh, no, he didn't. No, they, got, they won it and went through, got promoted. Yeah, did, yeah, sorry, they won a league title. So, I'm saying, didn't, didn't make him a bad goalkeeper, but the game's changed, Paul. Yes, the game changed, but still, goalkeepers have to make saves and hopefully keep you in, win your games or save, you know, and save you from losing games. He gives the ball back to him virtually when he's in trouble. He leaves it as late as possible because he's still doing this one, trying to be this poor man's Beckenbauer by waving his arms around. Then he just flicks it back to him and turns his back on him and says, get on with it. David De Gea then decides that he wants to go and try something. He should have kicked the ball out of play and berated him and fought for himself. Because the manager says, you've got to do this and got to do that. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, you get it out and you throw your case to the individual who put you in trouble and you go in at halftime and when the manager breaks you for it, you turn around and tell him why he didn't do it. And then you say to him, did they score? Did they have a shot? The answer is no. Why did they do it? Why did David De Gea give the ball to Eric's in that situation? Because he's programmed to play. And he wasn't, he wasn't an outfield player when he started. Goalkeepers now are all, were all predominantly... All ex-outfield players. So decision-making and those things, they got it quicker than normal normal goalkeeper. So he thought, oh, I've got to give it to Christian because he's running towards me and then he's going to play it out to the fullback rather than him just go route one. But no, he has to do that. They read it. I think it was Jensen reads it. He knew exactly what he's going to do. In, he's doing compatriot as well. He knows the way he plays. Bang. David De Gea gets the crap, crap, for that because he gave it to him. Chris Harrison gets crap as well. But that was the, that was David De Gea being left in a lurch and having to make those kind of choices. David De Gea should have just gone bang. There was three Brentford players. That means there's space to drop it into someone in midfield. Yeah. David De Gea, he, he isn't an Edison. He isn't an Allison. He isn't even a Henderson in that sense. But David De Gea is a better goalkeeper for shot stopping than them. Because he gets a lot of practice now with that defence. So he's, he's doing it all, all the time. Everyone now is lined up. Oh, Henderson saved the penalty yesterday. Sorry, if I had a cat, he could have saved that penalty he saved yesterday. But everyone's saying, oh, maybe United should have kept him because of what David De Gea done. It's too much of a blame game and there's something going on about with De Gea. He made him, what he'd done was just, he switched off. He, he thought he had it, he switched off. And he made he made a mistake. But what boils down to it, a long way round to it, is that some, you can't always do what you preach to in training. Sometimes you have to say the old-fashioned way, drop it in to the centre forward. If that was Mark Hughes playing now, Mark Hughes would come in now and he would see that space in that area and he'd say, just drop it anywhere in that big pond 
and I will fight heaven and earth. And even my grandmother, she tried to get in front of me to get to that ball. But as you've seen already, no team wants to do it because no team wants that against them, going, kind of going, oh, you're a long ball. And it's yeah. just it's madness. And as you said again, Wayne, at the top of it, if you're not good enough, don't do it. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, in the interest of democracy, I'm going to put up the comment because um, we do that with all the comments. Gavin says, how long before the Poch links start? Could this lot panic with Poch available? Um, I'm, I don't really want to dignify that because I don't think even United would panic at this stage because I don't think anyone's blaming the manager. But I am going to come to this now because obviously no rational fan wants him tight. You do have a few idiots saying, oh, he's, he's in trouble already. I've never been of the school that says it's a good idea for a manager to be abrasive. A lot of people say, no, he should come out and, and criticise what he's dealing with or he should walk And at this point. There's a lot of revisionism over Mourinho as if he publicly opposed the ownership, but he praised them plenty of times when he was in the job as well. We saw what happened with Ralph Ragnick when he constantly spoke about what we everyone knows what the club needs, and he pointed it out. So everyone knew that. Everyone was on the same page. We knew now that the managers knew that, and that was part of those conversations. But constantly going on about it obviously did more harm than good, destroying what fragile confidence the squad had anyway. So as long as Ten Hag's the manager, and He's a good manager. I do want to see him succeed with the squad that he's got. I, obviously, you want that. You want him to bring in new players. I would like to think he could improve what he's got because a lot of this team were able to finish in the top four in, in two seasons in a row. I'm also at the point where I, I think, like we've been saying about the weaknesses and strengths, I'm just going to stop criticising the players completely because if they're not good enough and they're not able to handle the pressure of playing for United, Many players can't handle the pressure of playing for United. And we've got to switch the argument, switch the narrative. Yeah, it's frustrating watching it. But the ones who can handle that are the ones who are destined for greatness. And that's what sets the players like you apart from these. Like, you know, all the players like Beckham and Giggs and Scholes and Ronaldo and Rooney at their peak. That's what separates them from greatness. That's what makes them the ones apart from the, the average player. That's what you praise and you appreciate. You don't you don't necessarily criticise someone because they're not great. I think what frustrates and brings the criticism is this not making the best of what you've got because we know that these players can do better than this. So you compensate and you economise when you know your weaknesses. You don't play to them and emphasise them. You have to run that extra mile like he had him in yesterday, apparently, running that extra mile to compensate for what you like, especially now when they know that the club is on its knees in, in that regard. Ben says there, you know, tear them down behind closed doors, making them run the distance they failed to run in the game. It's exactly a point. And you can see that Ten Hag knows some of the weaknesses that he's got, but he's also got the naivete that you have with a new manager in a new league. So McTominay was dropped. Maguire and Varane were supposedly head-to-head -head for a spot in this team, and, and Maguire eventually won out. But that shows you that Maguire's at risk as well. Shaw was hooked to half-time. Fred was hooked to half-time. Obviously, McTominay had to come on in that situation. I, I, I tend to agree with what you're saying. We, you know, we've had those conversations about McTominay, you know, not being of the standard there. Everyone knows that, but that was the, that was the alternative to bringing Fred off, basically. Or not putting Martinez up into midfield, like we possibly should have done that. Um, but that is the issue when you change managers so often. You're unfamiliar with every team in the league. 
And the problem with this United team is they're so bereft of confidence at the moment that the the minute that they start crumbling under pressure, they don't they're not able to pull it back. And like last week, I didn't want to be saying, you know, Ten Hag was at fault for, you know, playing Ericsson as a false nine. And I wanted to believe that Martinez's cleverness of positioning would compensate for, for anything about his height. But what can you do in that situation? Brentford were literally on top of him. So it's not about positioning. If he was at, on the, the one that they conceded what looked like it was bad about his height, he was on the goal line and the player was towering over him. You can't, you'd have to be behind the net to be able to get a running leap on that. They were literally on top of him. And the point is that you have a new manager and he's not aware of these things. You're going to have problems like that because there's not the adequate preparation in there. It's like the playing out from uh, the back, uh, like I said, against Liverpool. You know, you're inviting three goals to be conceded if you're going to concede. If you're really going to say we're going to play in that in that way, you're going to concede a number of goals against Liverpool. How much in this moment in time, Paul? You're looking at we've got this United squad so far, and I'm, I don't want to start talking about is Tenor going to walk or anything like that. But from the couple of games that you've got, do you think that his naivety with the league, his unfamiliarity, has contributed to the fact that you know we, you know, we didn't start playing against Brighton until he switched you up in the second half, and against Brentford, obviously, had to make a changes at half time just to keep it competitive. Uh, I mean, is that on the manager at all? I don't think so. I don't think so. There's been too many managers, too many players have played under too many managers, or all those managers, I should say. And it, it needs to change up. They, they've got to go. They have to go. They've, they've lost everything there. They've lost... The club, is, the club isn't what it was when they first signed. They've yeah. lost that edge now. But, you know, it's gone there. It's stale. It's too stale for them. They can't rejuvenate themselves to get back really what the club's about. You know, I've been gone 30, 30, I don't know, cross them up, math now. But nearly 30 years, over 30, nearly 30 years, I've been gone from Manchester United. And even I still understand exactly what it is and what it should be. Um, like any player who's been, you know, who left, who have left that club, everyone understands that there's, you know, players out there, out there, obviously, who have um, been gone a long, lot longer than me, those, all those famous old players, and all of them feel the same. They're the ones who will be choked as, as well because they know the feeling when they was there and how it was when they left those few years after they left. They still had that little bit, had that bit there where they wanted to be back at that club and everything that that club gave you. And these players now, it's just a matter of fact to them. They don't get it. As much as they're like, oh, but he's a good player, I think the word is was. And they now need those players. And I think everyone knows who, the, who, they, who those players are at that club. Because if you think about how many play, managers they've played for and what they've been involved in, is now they need to, to really go to another club and try and get a little bit back, get a little bit of their integrity back at another club. So go out there and prove, go and prove themselves at another club that they've still got, go and prove it to themselves. The fans will be judging them. If they, and those players leave and go to another club, they will be judged by the fans because as much as those fans are looking at them and going, oh, ex-Manchester United, they were there, but hold on a minute, Manchester United with this and this in the last few years, he playing on him and that. Because when they walk, they've got to deliver. Otherwise, they'll be called out as well. And they need to go and learn the harsh realities of life outside 
of the biggest club in the world, just to find out, because they've certainly forgotten where they've come from. Now, when you need people, to, when you need people to dig in, he hasn't got those players, so he has to rely on the players who he can trust. Now are the ones that he's bringing in, and he's got he's got he's got to go and show them that he's brought them to the club. He has to play those players in the next game. They've got to start. You can't keep leaving them on the side or just leaving them because they're not match fit. And we think, so what a load of rubbish. Young match fitness comes from playing matches. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's quite easy to understand. So he's got to play them to show his faith, the reason why he brought them to such a club with, a, with a, such a big stature. And that's all it is at the moment in time. And that's what they've got to chase. The calibre of players that Manchester United maybe can get now is dropped. The ones that they should get now should be players who want to earn the right to play for Manchester United. Don't need big name players. Yeah. You make a, you get them there and you make them into big name in the same way as what Sir Alex done. He didn't go out and keep chasing players initially who were big names. He made them big names. One, they become bigger names because they played for Manchester United and they become even bigger names because they were delivering. And that's what you've got to look for. Not looking for players who have been tried and tested and gone and done it, but you, they're coming along for a Yes, another paycheck, but they're coming to the biggest club in the world to get the paycheck that comes with the razzmatazz around it of wearing that red shirt. So that's got to stop now. Mm. Don't go and don't go looking for players because how many followers they've got or how many shirts they can sell. Go and go and sign players who were, who are going to make people buy their shirt because they're wanting to deliver. And mm. first and foremost, go and buy players. Who want to? Who will work hard? Because you understand, to be a professional footballer, professional athlete, working hard is the first thing that should be on your agenda. Yeah. Um, so we've got. Um, that brings us nicely on to talking about the transfers. Thank you for that, Paul. That brings us nicely into it. Um, a, a comment from Malamba: Are um, United not best dropping their interest in De Jong and looking at four solid players who would be cheaper to solidify the team a little bit more? Um, I'm going to come because we've got a few comments like this, um, as well as the rumor about James Garner apparently leaving this morning. But I want to deal with that in a separate, um, a separate comment. Um, so, yeah. Um, Keane says, thoughts on United selling Garner and keeping failed players such as Fred and McTominay? Is it Glazonomics? Um, some of these players might be decent, which I doubt, um, but the combination of all of them is so wrong it needs a real overall. Ben says, will he be allowed to do the overall that's required? We've been asking for this since Mourinho, or definitely since Solskjaer. Rory says, this is a problem. There's players from every manager since Ferguson in the squad, all with vague imprints of those managers. Um, Styles and Patrick. Um, good morning, Patrick. Hope you're well. He says, "Good morning, guys." Spot on, Paul. Creating big names at United rather than looking for them is uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk about transfers in general before talking about James Garner and the young players. Now, United, obviously, there's a lot of talk now that they're going to try and completely steal for Rabio. They, they're going to try and really push over the line for De Jong. I think that's the priority. They still feel that they can get him. You mentioned when we've been talking previously, Paul. You mentioned Jared Bowen as an example of a player that would, not necessarily, I guess, not Bowen in particular, but that kind of profile that would come in and and do do a job. And another rumored name is um, Casido from Brighton, who obviously dominated against us last season. And obviously, we were 
in for him 18 or 24 months ago when Solskjaer was manager and the club passed on that when he was available for like four million, likely to cost at least 10 times that amount now. Um, this morning, Jamie Vardy linked in this morning's Athletic, which, I, I, you know, I don't even, there's part of me that thinks it makes sense in this moment in time, but it doesn't fit the profile of what we're talking about in terms of wanting a younger, hungrier player to come in into the team. And like you said there, my issue or my concern is that a lot of people, I know that, you know, the club's financial situation is, is there what it is. And everyone knows that most of the financial outlay was, first of all, spent on Martinez and is likely to be amount for De Jong. And I know that we had that comment earlier. Do you pull that comment? Do you pull that finance away and then spend it on cheaper options? It might be better to, you know, plaster the, the cracks in other areas. The issue that you've got is that De Jong is obviously the key target for the manager, and I still feel like it's fair to, to stick, still in, go in for that. The other thing that people don't seem to sort of really take into consideration is that United still owe well over one hundred million pound in unpaid transfer fees, and I'm not. I'm definitely not going to be as like saying defending the owners or anything, but I'm, I'm talking about the health of the club long term. Nobody wants the club to end up like Barcelona. And those numbers, you know, like owing that much money in, in the unpaid transfer fees, they probably still owe on Maguire and they probably still owe something on Wan-Bissaka. And those numbers are why you can't just write off a lot of these players, even though you, you would think on a on a logical term, that's what needs to be done just to, to start and, um, you know, start and go again. Patrick says, look at Chelsea. Uh, he, he makes nearly a comment along the myriad issues that ampers United's new managers is their inability to get rid of the inconsistent players like Shaw, Maguire, Martial. We keep players too long. Look at Chelsea, Lukaku and Werner both gone ruthlessly efficient. That's true, but Chelsea and City also operate on a different financial platform to what we do, so they can afford to account for that loss, and United simply can't. And now they're in that situation where they don't have the finance available. And yeah, they could they could commit longer term to you know, owing on these deals again. I just don't know if, you know, it's not worked in the past. Is it a sensible thing to be doing? Now, I mean, I'm going to come to the younger players like Laird and Garner in a moment, Paul, but obviously we've got 15 days, two weeks left of the transfer window. There's going to be a lot of panic in terms of the players that United should be bringing in and the players that they should be letting go of. Are you, do you think that they need throw caution to the wind and bring in these players anyway because the situation's that dire or do you think that maybe it's better to not do what they've done in the past and and try and just see how I, I'm not saying try and make improvements from what we've got because obviously we know that a lot of these players need to be moved on now but do you think that maybe panicking like we have done in the past is only likely to create this situation prolonged down the line anyway So is it the long and short of it? Should it you're saying should the youngsters be sold or should the youngsters get no, done? I'll, I'll come to the I'll come to the youngsters. That'll be a separate, that'll be a separate com, uh, question that I'll ask in a second. But in terms of the panic signings, you know, bringing in Rabiot and De Jong, for example, if De Jong doesn't want to come, do we just hold back or do you just go and buy Rabiot and let's say a couple of other midfielders as well, like of Rabiot's profile, for example? I think Rabiot, everyone's having a go and straight away now as everyone does they go and look at his stats at Juve 
people don't know um, the inner problems he's had there. You find that if a player's not happy, it's, it's going to affect his performances. His head's going to be not in the right place. So it could be a rejuvenation. What was Eric Cantona's stats like before he went to Leeds United after what he was going through in France? I mean, did it, did it, did it bother Leeds then to go and get someone like that? No, no, it didn't. They went and done it. They got, they got a league title out of it. Did it bother the boss to go and do that and deal with that? No, it didn't because he managed him and he, and he managed him better than any other manager. And that's why Eric still thinks so much of him. So someone's got, Rabiot, if he's got this issue, he's got problems or whatever, and you find the best players are mavericks in a certain way. There is something about him. There is an edge about him. You try and, ma- you try and manage that. But because he hasn't done well at Juve, doesn't mean that he can't come to Manchester United. Do well, he might have just fallen out of love there. Something might have gone on. He might have been treated badly. Something might have been said badly against him. Something might have been said about other issues. And that affects his performances. So, so you, I mean, all these people judging on, oh, have you, have you seen his numbers? I keep hearing that every single time. Have you seen his numbers? I've got, How's he played? What's, you, you, just put, you find out about their personal life. That's what you do. That's how you go with players. He's a good player. You find, oh, he's a good player. And then straight away, you'll send out somebody, your scout, to go and find out and ask people about what is he like off the field. And that's how you find out. And then you make your decision on whether or not you're going to buy him. Don't look at, you look at stats, you think, okay. And then you try and work out why. You go, so why is his stats so low? What's the problem? And then what you do is you then might find out that he's got there's something off the field, an issue, something in his life which isn't going right at the moment. Can that be sorted out, that problem? Yes, it can. Then you go and get him. Where he's at the moment, I'm mostly not helping him because they don't want him. They haven't got the time to worry about that, maybe Juve. But maybe Manchester United have got the time because they know his quality. And that's how you should look at it with something like that. Not straight away go, look at his numbers. Oh, I don't want him. He's been crap at Juve. There's maybe been too many stories over the last few years where every club has gone and made that mistake because they go to their data section and they go, oh, look at that. Or look at, even worse now, a lot of clubs are on social media. Look what they're saying about, oh, look, don't like him, better not go and get him. Judge it. Allow, don't go and have, um, don't, I don't even want to call don't go and have a, a, a scouting system which you're paying a lot of money for and don't take their word for it. It's like giving your manager the job but saying, We'll tell you what to do. Yeah. You just make, you just walk out. You just go in front of the cameras, but we tell you who to play. And, yeah. and, that's what it, and that's what it seems like. I mean, I look at Darren Fletcher, and, and I do wonder what Darren does. Really, does, does he make decisions? I don't know. The moment he got there, he had this position of, I don't know, but the job title suggested that he's going to be in collar and tie every day. Next thing I know, I see him sitting next to Radnick. And I think to myself, those two don't know each other. You know, how has he got to sitting next to him? You know, it's just one of those moments. It's like when when the boss turned up in his first game at Oxford United, a coach driver was sitting next to him. And he just, what's going on here? You remember remember that, didn't you, Wayne? You remember that story. Who are you? You know, why has he got to sit there, have have his own people next to him? They know how he works, and he wants to communicate with them. It's absolutely... Ridiculous! What what is happening? If he, he's he's got a good pedigree, trust that and go and get it. Bring him to a club like Manchester United. They'll get behind him because they see they know there's something there. They see him as better than what they've got already. Go and bring him in and go with it. Because I will tell you why to go and do it. Done it too many times, too many times already. 
We spent millions going to do it, and it's never materialised. This isn't a great deal of money in comparison to what United have spent before. Well, let me ask you on this then, because we got this loads and loads of comments on this. So, first of all, the football brewery, there seems to be an illusion of competence on and off the pitch over the last decade at United. Data strategy, recruitment and youth development, to name a few. Um, ben, right at the top of the show, um, asked, when you're ready to talk about what next, what would be the arm of Tenog playing our best youth prospects? It can't be worse than our first team, can it? Um, and Rory, can't believe what I'm seeing about Ghana being let go, but keep the midfielders that they have proven they aren't up to it. Standard Monday morning, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, this is what I'm going to ask you about, Paul, um, because Rabio is almost a perfect example of this. So the, the talk is that Ghana is going to be sold for between 15 to 20 million, which is incidentally the same financial package it's going to require to bring in Rabio, which tells you where the funds are going and why they're necessary. So you could say that Ghana's sale, well, you, I mean, it's a very fair assumption and connection to make that Ghana is being sold to bring in Rabio, and you've not seen Ghana get a chance. There's also been a couple of comments about uh, Laird, you know, Laird's already gone out on loan. Um, you know, Laird as well, Rory. Can he be worse than Dallow or, or Wan-Bissaka? Laird has been about for a while. Uh, Rory says, so not entirely surprised he's going to be loaned out. He'll probably be allowed to leave. But the point remains that he should probably have been given a chance in front of Dallow. He's not going to get that chance. He'll probably go. Garner's now in the same boat. Um to the basically the sacrificing the talent that the club have to facilitate these um possible average foreign players coming into and I'm not like necessarily because the foreign they could be an average Premier League English signing, but it's still a roadblock to them getting into the first team when this this is what I'm I'm asking you about, Paul. I mean, do you do you think that this is the wise thing to for United to be doing it is this more of the same sort of gambles? Or would you prefer for Garner to be given that chance instead of Rabio or Led to be given that chance instead of Dallo, for example? I'm not sure about James Garner. I've only I've only seen him play on a few occasions for Nottingham Forest, and he's done. And he's you know, and he seemed like well, he was in a good side, and they done they done very very well. I don't know if he could do it in the in the Premier League. No, no one will know. At this moment, some well for Manchester United, they won't know, as it seems that way. They might be doing that, but Ajax was all about young players coming through. So this decision doesn't seem like it's a new manager's decision because he hasn't seen enough of them, has he really, to know? Right. So it seems like there's someone else who's decided who is straight away looking at the money's coming in, you know, on that side of it. Laird going when he hasn't been given an opportunity. I don't know. I didn't watch any pre-season games for United. Um, I don't know if he got any opportunities. To, did he play any games for the first team squad? Did he get in? The, was he travelling with the first team for he, pre-season? He was, he was in Australia, but he was he had an injury, so he, had, he only played a few minutes. He wasn't, right. you know, he wasn't given a chance where you would think, all right, we know what he's made of. Although for Ten Hag to to think that, no. Yeah. So um, I'm looking at it. And I think, right, he hasn't been given an opportunity where it was worth an opportunity. I still think Juan Pesaka could do it for Ram. Yeah. I don't, he's, he's, not, he's better defensively 
Yeah. yeah. He, he's be- definitely better defensively. And if you're talking about um, Dallow's in the side because he's better going forward, well, correct. Well, is that is that re- is that is that going in reverse in the ball popular? Yeah. If you're on about going forward, Christ, or it was no, no. If you're going to say anything and you say, "I'll have an argument about it," he's no worse. Um, Wan-Bissaka is nowhere, not not worse than Dallo. I don't really know how how really. I, he's got Wan-Bissaka not start, not given the opportunity. Seems strange to me the way Dallo's played. I really. Don't understand it. But going back to the saying, there's a few young players, and you look at the way Sancho's played, you look at the way Rashford played, there's young players with a little bit of with a lot of fire in their belly who need to run. They'll show more urgency, they'll show more desire to run with the ball and without the ball and make things happen. The difference it makes when you have a wide player who will just try and run. Let's put it this way: I'm up against I'm up against a winger. And all he wants to do, every time he sees a midfield player in the centre of the park, is want to run over over my right shoulder. He wants to make he wants the ball played over in an area to make the distance harder for me, longer for me to, to get the ball. They yeah. keep doing that. And every time he keeps making that run, they might not give him the ball, but I'm getting the um, I'm getting mentally tired because I don't really want to be doing that because it's harder to run back towards your own goal than to run forward. There's joy running forward, but it's, it's honestly, there's hate running back. Absolute agony. So all he's doing is threatening it. And what happens in the end is that that fullback, that fullback in the end decides, stop this, I'm not going to do it. And what happens is he, was, he suddenly gets closer to the, he suddenly then gets closer and closer to, say, a Marcus Rashford. He's going, he's running, but I'm going to go and get closer to him. And what that does, that creates space between the two centre, between the centre half and the fullback. And then that allows someone else to run through. So what you're doing, if you're Marcus Rashford or Sancho, is that you're being unselfish because you're, because you're, all you're doing is making runs to threaten. If you, if you had a Fernandez on form or you had an Ericsson playing in his right position, they would see that and they then a clever Ericsson especially would know that he'll know whether to hit the Rashford or to hit the, hit the space where a supposed midfield player would be running through a Brian Robson or a Roy Keane or a Paul Winch would run through that big gap between the centre half and the space that the fullback has left. Yeah. That's what they would do. But Marcus Rashford doesn't want to do the unselfish running like an Andre Konchelskis or a Ryan Giggs or a Lee Sharp. They play for themselves, and he only wants to make a run for him to get the ball. And that is the bit, and that is a big problem. If you play a young player like the um, is it Gonacho? Yeah, yeah. If you play him, he will do that. His sheer enthusiasm and drive and desire to be in a Manchester United team would would make him do it. You might have to calm him down a bit, as the boss done with a young Ryan Giggs and a young, and a young Lee Sharp and, and um, a, Ukraine, a Russian who become a Ukrainian. You have to try and quell them a little bit. But you can't knock anybody who wants to keep running forwards. And that's the problem that Manchester United haven't got. We always talk about having wide players, but the wide players always run. Yeah. The wide players at Manchester United do not run without the ball at their feet. So they're not good enough. You can look at most teams... 
and they've got players who run behind, run without the ball. Jared Bowen's one of them. He runs with and without the ball. And when he gets on the ball, he runs at somebody like going, I know I'm going to beat you. He doesn't always all the time, as you expect, because defenders can defend sometimes. Yeah. But he keeps doing he keeps doing it, Wayne, and pin them down. And, and he's forcing a decision then. So if, so all of a sudden then, that defender knows that Jared Bowen, when he get, he's going to run to me. So he wants to get close. So if someone gives him the ball, he's going to go bang. And do you know what happens next? He runs behind because he sucked you in because he kept going and going because he's playing with his head. Yeah. Mark, Marcus Rashford and Sancho don't do it. The worst thing about it, Sancho cost $73 million and he was chased to pay that money. Hard work, chased. People sweated to get him. And he hasn't even shown one-tenth of that at this moment in time. Yeah, he's, um, it's a big season for, for Sancho, for sure. Um, a couple of comments on, on Wan-Bissaka and uh, Ghana. Rory says... Both Bello and Wambasaka pull going forward, but Wambasaka can defend, so surely he should get a shot and then try and move him on, um, which I think is a, f- a fair comment. And Ben says, Tenog didn't bring Garner on wh- when the midfield's been crippling us for two games. Maybe he just doesn't like what he's seen in training yet. And you know what? Like anyone who's watched, um, well, whenever you get a new manager in, we've always said this, you've got to back him to make, even if it's your favourite player, He's going to move him on. You know, you've got to back him to make those decisions, the unpopular ones, even if it is moving on Garner without him getting a chance because that's the decision that he's going to make. But the only issue that I have is that maybe it's the, the model of the club is that they've said, you, this is the most marketable player. We need to raise funds for Rabio. Whereas you would be looking and saying, maybe, maybe it's time for McTominay or Fred to move on and give Garner that chance as a number two to come in someone like Rabiot and be his backup rather than moving on for him. Um, and KF4 says, all that running in behind is why Ralph preferred Alanga all last season over Rashford. Exactly. Magnificent point. So, yeah, Paul, excellent analysis there. Um, I had a few people after the game or during the game. Um, they, I'll always get them. I, I'll tweet about the game, obviously, while it's going on. And then I, I've, I have people either saying, one of two things at the moment when United are playing bad, it's like, oh, everyone should get a copy. You should send a copy of the Jimmy Murphy book to everyone and they'll understand what United uh, are about. But then there's a second one, which is more frequent when United are losing heavily, especially at the moment. Um, you should send them a copy of Too Good to Go Down. Um, I'm wondering if United are in a relegation battle already. I think it's a little bit too much too early because I don't want to be that pessimistic. So I'm not going to talk about the relegate the, the actual prospect of relegation. We're only two games in, but one thing we do have to confront an ugly truth is that we're playing Liverpool next. Obviously, we can sit here, Paul, and I think the easy prediction for us to both make is that Liverpool are going to win and they're going to win comfortably. And the threat really is whether or not they're going to do greater damage, inflict greater damage on us than what they did last season. You know, whether it's going to be five or six or seven. So we can have that conversation. It's obvious that we know that Liverpool are favourites and we know that the the very basic premise of United attempting to not get humiliated is to play not to the weaknesses. We <clears throat> can presume that Ten Hag's going to make some tough decisions because he's he was able to do that with dropping McTominay and hopefully he'll be able to either bring in a player or 
at least change the system or change the team to to know that Liverpool aren't going to expose everything in the side. But to me, Paul, the concern isn't really about Liverpool. Yeah, we'll probably lose on the day. But it's the next 10 games. You look at the fixture list and you think, where's the next win coming from? And not only that, where's the next draw coming from? Where where can you look at that, that fixture list and say, you're confident that United are going to go there and get a result? I look at Southampton and think maybe there, but everyone is smelling blood with United at the moment. And they're not only insatiable to win against them, you know, if they get in there early and they score an early goal, they're going to get a famous heavy win over United. They, they, they can take them apart. They can really sort of feast on their bones, really. And you said it earlier, Brentford are going to remember that game. And, and oh, by the way, let's say this, Brentford fully, fully deserved and fully deserving of that 4-0 win. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they, and they could have been more. Um, other teams are going to see that. And like you said, you go to Chelsea the day after. Everyone, all everyone wants to talk to you about is United. United are still the headline story today, everywhere in the press, because they they are the scalp. They're still the scalp, regardless of how City are doing, regardless of how Liverpool are doing, regardless of Chelsea and Spurs putting on an entertaining game like that. And every one of these teams is going to see United in this state, and they're going to want to register their own four or five nil win against them because they can believe that they can do it. Not only win, but win comfortably. And give the fans something to rightfully crow about, and that's one of the that first of all is reflective of where United are at the moment. But how does Ten Hag even address that? How how difficult is that for him? Really, really difficult. So I mean, I, I feel very, very sorry for him for what he's been put into. I, I think he's had, I think he's he's had broken promises just by the way he was stubborn initially, and I think he's had broken promises, so he's mostly hurting a little bit there, and there might be a bit of pride going through him at the moment. I'm sure he's asking himself questions. I'm sure he's getting phone calls from home. You know, a lot of people asking him questions, maybe saying things in his head. And But if he can maybe, if, I mean, that might lift him if he can get De Jong, but he, he needs, I would, he needs at least one player before that game against Liverpool, something to lift, to lift the fans, to get them believing that something's going on. But before the 1st of September, he needs at least three decent players just to maybe liven up other players around as well and just to change it up. The fans need to see different different faces on their part. They don't need to see the same on, same in, same out every single game. They need, they need something, they need something fresh, to be perfectly honest. And, um, there's liability, you know. There's he's got hard choices. I think he, he's difficult choice. The one choice I do, I still question, is the one with Harry Maguire as captain because he's put, a, you know, he's made it difficult now for himself. In that sense, I think I look at the way I would, I would have personally taken off Harry Maguire. He was a, he was a problem. He, if you're going to take off centre half, he should have come off, and Varane come on, but he doesn't because he's captain. Now, if he makes a decision, anything to take him up and not play him. It's going to cause another story. Yeah. So it's just like it's, it was just there for him to kind of make it as a new manager. I'm going to do this. Stephen Gerrard starts starts the season, as new season makes a decision on his captaincy. And every time now now every time Villa win, Villa Villa lost the first game. Questions. He wins now. It's still going to be there, but it's all about how that situation is going to turn out and how Villa progress. But it's there with United and. It's going to keep going a while because 
he's been scrutinised every game, Harry Maguire. He's doing himself no favours because all I want him to all I want him to do now is just as you used to say before in um, in the lower divisions, your centre half just used to head and volley, head and volley, and all you that's all you want him to do, play two touch, do that, and he overplays because he thinks he has to. He thinks he has to be seen as ball bitten. So that's that's the one thing that has to change very, very quickly for United. He needs to get continuity in that back line. He signed a left back, play him. Yeah. Play him a left back and give him a chance to get into it and get an idea. But he's got to play the players that he's brought in. And then when the new ones come in, he's got to play them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. Definitely in terms of, I mean, it doesn't appease the support in terms of where they are at the moment with the ownership and everything like that, obviously. But in terms of getting behind the team, seeing the new seeing new faces in there, and that's, the, that's exactly the principle that we've talked about in previous episodes with the younger players as well. So even if it is bringing in younger players and giving them the chance rather than um, new signings as well, the, the freshening up is a big thing. And I think... The the thing with Tenog, I don't think he's afraid to drop Maguire. I, I think that that was a big call that he made last week. He was deciding on him over Ran for the game against Brentford. So it shows that he's in the the mixing pot to be dropped. Is you know the, the conversation is there and it's been had, and you know he brought off Shaw at half time against Brentford. So he, he can see where the problems are. Um, we'll we'll see we'll see. It's it's a catch twenty two against Liverpool because. They're such a good side that, you know, do you want to bring in new players and have them associated with, you know, something that could be humiliating around them? But, yeah, I mean, but you're talking about players who have played a lot of professional games, played a lot of big games. What do you do? Wait for them? What is a nice game you've got to wait for at the moment for United? What, what is an easy game to come into, a comfortable game? There's no comfortable game. Just get in there and deal with it. Yeah. Make it. Go out there and make it and go and show it from the start. And if you're going to go and do that, there couldn't be a better game, really. Than, than Liverpool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, well, we will be back next week to talk about that one, um, however it goes. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this. I mean, it's very difficult to come on here and talk about um, a game like that um, when, like I said, even though we've had plenty of practice of it <laughs> over the last year, <laughs> talking about uh, performances like that. And Ben says, exactly, take your chance. Yeah, I, I do tend to agree there's nothing to lose, really. I mean, the, the hesitation that I do have is possible damage to the long-term career of a young player who might get hurt by the experience. But at this point in time, we stand to benefit more from, from having them in rather than the continuation of the uh, thing. Um, ben says it's Monday night, isn't it? The United game, so Tuesday morning next week. I'll work that out with Paul, but we will be doing a pod. Sorry about that. Um, make sure that we get something arranged for that. Um, but yeah, we will be back next week to talk about United's game against Liverpool. Hopefully, to talk about a couple of new signings as well. Hope you've enjoyed the listen, and thanks very much for the chat. Um, everyone who joined in the conversation, really appreciated. If you're watching live on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening. Back on the audio podcast, please be sure to give us a review on the platform you're listening on. We will be back soon. Stay well, stay well, stay safe. Thanks for watching and listening. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, 
tell them honestly if you're going through a difficult time let them know opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference after all they are your mates for a reason let's all take a moment to talk more than football away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.